a guest in our home on Friday night, and a cherished guest, a young couple, newly married, figuring things out. And uh, it was cool, so we, we knew they were coming. We started a little fire, and we had a pleasant time, and they, they said, we, we have something we want to tell you. I said, all right, what's that? And they said, well, we're, we're, uh, in January, we're going to go to Kenya for six months. Six months. Um, we're going to go, and we're going to serve in an or- there's a There's a ministry called Oasis for Orphans. Uh, and we're going to go there in January. We're going we're gonna to serve there for six months at least and then s- see what happens after that. And see, what, see, what happened is that the, the young lady, our, our daughter-in-law, Dylan, she, she went to Kenya before they were married, and she said, I just can't get it out of my heart. I just can't get it out of my mind. She says, it's like if you go to a place like that, you're never the same. Once you've gone to a place like that, you're never the same. The passage that we're teaching on, Revelation 18, is written by the Apostle John. John the Apostle, who also wrote the epistles of John and the gospel of John, and was a near associate, an apostle obviously, a near associate of Christ, looked on him, touched him, he was very intimate, very close with Christ, and called himself the disciple Jesus loved. He liked to refer himself to himself that way. And John, in the epistles of John, he wrote something interesting about the world that we live in. It's like when John taught the people there, and probably the epistle went initially to Ephesus, which was the church he pastored, and, and when, when he wrote that epistle, he said to them something about the world that we live in. Here's what he said. Don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And this is what he said in verse 17. And the world is passing away. The world, it's passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. If we had met the Apostle John late, late, late in his life, after his experience on Patmos, can you imagine how powerfully he would have expressed to us, the world is passing away. The Apostle John, by that time in his life, had had a scene of the throne room of heaven. He had had a picture, a vision of the throne room of heaven. The Apostle John, by that point in his life, had seen the new heavens. He'd seen the new earth. He'd seen the new Jerusalem. He'd seen the throne room of God. He'd seen the destruction of this present world, the ugly end of this present world. He, he would say with even greater conviction, almost like once you see this, you are changed forever. He would say the world that you're living in is temporary, it's passing away. Well, this, these slides aren't advancing, so if you'd help me up there, that'd be helpful. The world is passing away, the world as we know it. Go to the next slide. So today I want to talk to you about the message is called One Day Soon. I want to talk to you about t- 10 reasons from Revelation 18 why you shouldn't be putting your trust in making your investments in this present world. 10 reasons why you shouldn't. 
Let's take a look at the text, Revelation chapter 18. It's lengthy and powerful, and it's probably the highlight of all we do during the week is when the people of God, they quietly listen to the Word of God. So let's take the Bible, Revelation 18, and let's read Revelation 18, the entire chapter. The thought, Revelation 18, goes from Revelation 18.1 to Revelation 19.10, and we won't go that far uh, today, but it's, it's one unit of thought. And, and uh, Revelation 18, so, and, and, and to set you up, and most of you have been here during the whole series, but you know that uh, we've coming here to the end of the tribulation period, and Revelation 17 is about the fall of religious Babylon, and Revelation 18 is about the fall of military, political, economic Babylon, the world system. Babylon, as a symbol of the world system, and as an actual city in the future, is going to fall and a tremendous fall. That's what we're going to read. That the fall is of that city and the, of that culture is a judgment from God. And we're going to read about it in really graphic terms. And out of that, you'll see 10 reasons not to invest in this present world, which is symbolized by, uh, by Babylon. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And has become a dwelling place of, place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean, hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived in luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow, and I will not, I will, will not see sorrow. And therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her." The kings of the earth who committed fornication and live luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and the bodies and the souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which, which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, 
Alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ships, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance, and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she was made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven. And you, holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, Thus, with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. And the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. This is, a, this is the end of the world system at its finest that will happen at the very end of the great tribulation in a day, in an hour, It will come to an end. And it's really clear when you just read this passage that this is a description of the world system at its best and its fall. And so from that, we just really kind of really begin to notice things about the world system that you should be aware of. Let me give you these 10 things as clearly as I can. And there are 10 reasons not to invest in this world. 10 reasons not to put your hope, not to put your heart, not to put all your money, not to put your efforts, not to put your energy into things that are a part of this world's anti-God system. First, because one day God will call the faithful out of it. One day God will call the faithful out of this earth. Look at verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive her plagues. Render to her just as she rendered to you. Repay her double according to her works in the cup which she's mixed. Mixed double for her. One day God will say to the faithful who remain on the earth. You understand, we believe the church is raptured at this point. But over and over in the tribulation period are opportunities for people to repent. But they often don't repent. Many will, many won't. But over and over again, even in the last hour, in the last moments, there are these offers of mercy there is this offer of mercy. One reason why you shouldn't invest in this world is, gonna get, is because someday God's going to say, um, get out of it, separate from it. And, and by the way, the command to be separate from uh, the world system that's anti-God is also a command that's given real clearly in the New Testament for our age. And how does that work? Well, the Bible doesn't teach that we're supposed to go away from lost people and not love them, not care about them, not like them, not identify with them. Uh, The Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible says that we're actually supposed to build relationships with them. But the moment, the moment that you begin to participate in their anti-God thinking and behavior, then you realize that you compromise and been unfaithful to God. It is possible because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God in us, it is possible for us to live in a very broken, very sad, very perverse, very fallen world and be 
morally and ethically distinct or separate from it. It doesn't mean that we isolate ourselves all the time, though from time to time we, want, we may want to get away. But we go back, like Jesus went to the mountaintop, he got away, but then he went to the marketplace and he was shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow with very lost people, demon-possessed people, immoral people. What we have today in the, you know, the, the organization that often calls itself the church are people who say they're doing evangelism, but they're participating in evil things. They're participating in things that are wrong. They're participating in things that are not pure, that are not clean, that are not right. This is what God is saying to his people. Come out from among them and be separate. Be different. Be morally and ethically distinct. That's a, that's a command given to the church age. That's a command that was given in the Old Testament. The command is given again in the end of the tribulation. Now is your chance to separate yourselves because if you don't, you're going to be participating in their judgment. The second reason not to invest in this world is because one day soon, her sins will reach heaven and God will judge her. That's what it says there in verse 5. Her sins have reached to heaven. Of course, we know that God always knows all things, even our secret thoughts. But in this sense, it's like a poetic way of saying her sins are so bad, the stench of them has come up before heaven, and God can't stand it anymore. He's going to judge her. One day soon, God will call the faithful out of this world. Don't invest in this world. One day soon, the sins of this world will reach up to God, and God will judge her. Third, one day soon, the judgment of God will be poured out, and that judgment will match her sins. God is very careful about this. It talks about the measure of her, judge, her sin. It talks about the measure of the judgment. It's easy for us to think, well, you know, um, nobody really is measuring this. No one is really paying attention. No one is monitoring my thinking. No one is monitoring my behavior. No one is monitoring my secret thoughts or, or my selfishness or my sinful. Yes, God is monitoring that. And the judgment will be poured out against all sin, either on Christ or on you. And this is what will happen then. This would be a reason that we don't want to invest in this world. Fourth, one day soon, this world system, at its most prosperous and most powerful, will be unable to resist the power of God and shelter her from his wrath. Listen to verse 8. Therefore her plagues will come in a day, death and mourning and famine, and she'll be utterly burned with fire. Notice this phrase. For strong is the Lord who judges her. Babylon is powerful. Babylon is universal in the world. Babylon is very, very wealthy. And all the kings are, are worshiping this uh, this end-time kingdom that's going to come, that's going to involve uh, uh, hatred for God and actual political power. And when that time comes, people in the world are going to think there's nobody anywhere more powerful. But the Bible says that judgment is going to come. And verse 8 says, strong is the Lord who judges her. This is one of the reasons why this studying this passage, studying Revelation and studying the tribulation, it goes on and on and on. And, and you have to ask the question, why so much, God? Why do you have our head held under the water of the description of the tribulation so long that it feels like we can't breathe? And I think the answer comes back very clearly. I want you to feel in your soul how dark, how ugly, how dangerous this world system that's anti-God is, and I don't want you to be any part or participation in it. You're like your citizenship is in another country altogether, and this isn't your home. This is a place where you are a missionary, it's the idea. And so 
Why wouldn't we invest in this world? Well, because number one, God will call the faithful out of it one day. Number two, because their sins will reach heaven and God will judge her. Number three, because the judgment will be poured out to match her sin. Number four, because God is more powerful than the world. Number five, one day soon the world system will come to an end. And when that world system comes to an end, it will be sudden. That's why I said one day soon. We don't know exactly when this will happen. We know this day will be at least seven years from now, right? Because there's going to be a timetable that goes in place at the rapture of the church. But, but all, over and over again, whenever the Bible talks about the end of the world, it talks about that it's going to be imminent or sudden, or the return of Christ and the, and the kind of the denouement of the world, the, the wrap-up of the world is going to come on suddenly and unexpectedly. And over and over it says that here. Look there in verse 8, it says that. Therefore her plagues will come in a day. Look at verse 10. Standing at a distance... For fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, in one hour your judgment has come. Verse 17 says it again, in one hour your judgment has come. Understand that everything's going to be going along and and, and it may look like God's people are weak, that God is weak, that God is not in control, that God's enemies have taken over. And they're going to actually grow and fill the earth with a one-world system of government and a one-world system of false religion and a one-world economy and a one-world military. And it will be very frightening and powerful. And yet in a moment, the Bible says, he will wipe it out. And we're staying in this passage, but we could go to other parallel passages in prophecy, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, we could read the same thing about the fall of, an, of a Babylon that's not just ancient, but that is future. Six, one day soon, all the earth will mourn the collapse of the world, and all of heaven will rejoice. In this passage, that's the main thing in the passage. If you, if you look there in verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication live luxuriously with her, will weep, and they will lament. This whole passage is full of lament. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her. They won't be rejoicing. They won't be celebrating. Verse 15, merchants of these things who become rich by her will stand at a distance for her for fear of torment and weep. The, 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 the mourning will have like two aspects to it. They'll be, they'll be moving away because they don't want to be judged. And they'll be mourning. The, the Bible actually says in this passage, they mourn because their markets have dried up. In other words, they're not mourning because God is judging. They're not rushing to repentance. They're saying, man, that really, that really kicked me in the wallet. So now what am I going to do? That is so much the world that we're living in. That is so much the culture that we're living in right now. It's all about the dollar, right? It's all about my prosperity. That's what I really care about. The average person, I'm going to vote based on my prosperity. I'm going to act based on my prosperity. My goals are about worldly prospering and the bible is that's why the bible has so much to say about that because that's such an alluring temptation that the bible wants to make it very clear when it reaches its climax that no amount of money or material wealth can shelter you from the wrath of god you will find yourself mourning if you're on the wrong side of this in verses 19 and 20 it becomes very powerful They threw dust on their heads. They cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. 
And then the Bible says that in heaven they rejoice. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you. On the earth there's this mourning all over the earth. In heaven there's rejoicing because of the righteous acts of God. Number seven is what we're on, right? One day soon souls of lost men and women will perish forever. Verses 12 and 13 give the big long list. It almost pulls you in. It's a list of material things. It pulls you in. It's, a, it's trying to kind of exhaust all the possibilities of material things. And then there's this little turn at the end that's shocking. And it says, and the bodies and the souls of men and women. Men. The bodies and the souls of men and women. So the scriptures are saying that one day... God is going to pull into hell the souls of people who have rejected him. And he's going to populate the new heaven and the new earth with the bodies and the souls of people who believed in him. That's just a simple, straightforward. This is what the Bible is so plainly showing us in these like shocking uh, narratives that we're reading right now of the vision that God gave to John. So this is what I'm saying. If once John got this vision in his mind, he never saw the world the same way ever again, right? And he wants us to get that vision in our minds and in our hearts. The Holy Spirit wants us to get that picture of the fall of Babylon, of the fall of this anti-God world system that seems so powerful and so alluring. He wants us to get a picture of its fall in our mind. He wants us to hear the cry and the mourn of the lament. He wants us to smell the fragrance of the burning flesh. He wants us to get an idea of a place that is populated by demons and by, um, by carrion birds and, and by, by roadkill, by death and by, by, by sickness and by disease and by sin. He wants us to have a picture of that. So we will be ruined for this world and our hearts will be in love with the next world. And he wants us to understand that the souls of men and women are at stake and he wants us to live that way. That's why we have this passage. One day soon the souls of men and women will perish forever. And the idea here is whether or not they have money, they will perish forever. There's just some things money can't do for you. Like most of the important things in the world. Number eight, another reason not to invest in this world is that one day all that's beautiful on earth, all that's beautiful, all that we loved on earth as we know it will end, will come to an end. Look look in verse two first in the passage, verse two. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. It's become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and every hated bird this is the everything beautiful is going to stop the music is going to stop the lights are going to go out all the beautiful things that we loved in the world and that we wanted are going to end that's what he's saying and then he says in the vision look in verses 22 and and 23 the sound of harpist musicians flutists trumpeters will not be heard in you anymore no craftsman of any craft will be found in you anymore The sound of a millstone will not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp will not shine in you anymore. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you anymore. Your merchants were great men of the earth, for by your sorcery the nations were deceived. All the things that are good and beautiful and and that we loved will end. Even the daily routines that we come to love. What the Bible is saying is that nobody is going to be continuing 
in their comforting daily routines like marrying and so forth and working and producing things and playing music and eating food and having light. That's all coming to a sudden and ugly end in this hour that God brings judgment on the anti-God Babylon system, the anti-God world. So I, I have a feeling that when I watch people that are professing Christians often, that they're not terribly convinced this is true. And they want to kind of keep one foot in the world. I mean, don't we all have a little of that in us? We want to kind of keep one foot in the world for whatever reason. Is that like the devil pulling us that way? Is that just the old man, the flesh pulling us? That way? Why is that that we don't want to really let go of this world? So we have this vision that God graciously gives to John. And it's a stark vision so that we will look at that and say, why in the world would I ever want to cling to that anti-God world system or identify with that in any way? Why would I ever do that? A couple of more. One day soon God will vindicate the suffering of the faithful. That's in verse 24, right? As it says there in verse 24, in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain in the earth. That's mentioned before. It will be repeated again. This is a vindication. God will vindicate the righteous. It's important that he does that. One day soon, God will vindicate the suffering of the faithful. So you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. And number 10, one day soon, all the glory will belong to God alone. Amen. All the glory will belong to God alone. And one, right, now, right now, God manifests his glory continually for those who will see it. And most people are blind to the glory of God. Even this passage starts out in a great expression of light. Some people even say a Christophany. I don't know. But listen to chapter 18 and verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. That was a hint. The earth was, can you imagine one angel illuminating the entire earth with his glory? Kind of remind you of other passages of scripture. And then you get to chapter 19, and remember that chapter 19 is a part of the same unit of thought. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power. Don't you love these parts of Revelation? They're my favorite parts. Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And here we go again. Verse 4. Are you reading? And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Alleluia, Alleluia. And a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And then there was the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters. But I'm getting into next week's text right now. We're ramping up into the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the end of the ugly world as we know it, and the beginning of the beauty of the world of God. And that's the world that I want to be in. See, we're all going to die. Someday we're all going to die. And then then when we die, we're all going to face God. Our bodies, our our earthly bodies are going to die, and they're going to be burned up, or they're going to go on the ground unless unless we get raptured. If you, if you read missionary biography, maybe you've read of, 
a young Scottish missionary. His name was John Patton. And John Patton went from Scotland and he went to the Hebrides, uh, islands in the Pacific, basically between Australia and Hawaii. But the people that had gone before him, they landed on uh, one of the islands, Aramanga, and when they landed, within one hour, the natives had killed them and eaten them. Now Patton says he wants to go back to these islands. And so he's in Scotland, and he says, I want to give the gospel to these people. And the, and the, the elders in the church are like, I, I'm not sure that's a really good idea, because the last people who went there, it was 19 years earlier, they were immediately killed and brutally killed, and, and they were eaten by cannibals. And so there was this little exchange. A, a, a well-meaning older elder in the church said to Patton, his name was Mr. Dixon, the cannibals, though, you will be eaten by cannibals. And to this, Patton responded, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave and there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or whether I'm eaten by worms. And in that great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our dear Redeemer. (laughs) That was some hootspah to say something like that. How could he do that? He, He must have had a vision of the world to come and a confidence in that. A few uh, months ago, I got a call that a pastor friend of mine had died. Young guy, just he's young, just a couple years older than me. He's too young to die. He had he had some troubles with his heart. He had a heart attack over on over Grand Rapids. I drove over to his funeral. His wife, his his sister, is my sister-in-law. I remember Carolyn showing up at my brother-in-law's funeral. I thought, well. I'm going to be there for her. And I drove over there. Steve Worth was his name. Great guy. Good. He's one of our regular Baptist pastors over in Fruitport and a really faithful, good guy. And uh, the place was packed and funeral was honoring to the Lord. You know, here's a guy who lived faithful. He died faithful. He went to be with the Lord. That's the way it's supposed to work. And then um, I got to thinking how sad it was that his dad was had to be there at his son's funeral. It just shouldn't be like that. And I thought, before I leave, I want to go over to John Worth, his dad, and I want to tell him that I'm going to be praying for him and that I care about him. And so I made my way through the fellowship hall, and there's a huge table of, full of pies. The ladies had brought food, and people were gathering there. I made my way over to John Worth. He's a big man, 82 years old, and a godly guy. And I Gave him a hug, and I said, John, I just want to let you know that I'm sorry about your boy dying. He was a good guy. He was solid. He was, uh, lived an honorable life. He died faithful. And I'll be praying for you as you deal with the grief of losing your boy. And we hugged. And when we drove away, I thought, he reminded me a little bit of my, my grandpa Shipley. Last Sunday, I got a call from the family, and John Worth had gone to his church, Calvary Baptist over there in, in uh, Coldwater, and like he always did, taught Sunday school and sang the hymns and gave his gift and listened to the preaching and came home and had dinner and he had a heart attack and he went to heaven. 
So Thursday, I drove back over for John Worth's funeral. What a precious, in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. What a precious hour it was to sing the hymns that he loved. Great is thy faithfulness. How great thou art. And here the people eulogize him. And people that eulogize him like, okay, we're talking about family members. We're talking about church members. We're talking about people he worked with in the world and neighbors. Covered everything, right? This guy went to Grand Rapids Baptist to school. Then he went to some other places to get his teaching certificate. And he taught uh, elementary school in, in Quincy, a little village near Coldwater. He taught there. And then he became the principal of the, of the, uh, of the uh, elementary school. He spent his entire career in the public school, in one public school in the, in the Quincy uh, uh, elementary school. He spent his entire career in one building. And he retired, and people from his church got up and said he was a godly man. He was a faithful man. He was a good teacher. He was an encouragement. Kids got up that were, that were like, they looked old, and they said, he was my teacher when I was in school, and he was really good to me when my dad died, or when my dad was traveling. He was like, he stepped in for me. Over and over again, somebody got, he was my Sunday school teacher. He taught me the Bible. People that worked with him from other denominations, you know, they came and they said, he was a good man. He was an honorable man. You could count on him to do the right thing. He had a powerful testimony. It was so wonderful to hear it. So when the eulogies were over and they'd sung his favorite hymns and his family members and friends and coworkers and church, fellow church members stopped eulogizing him, the pastor got up. And the pastor said, I'm not going to preach my own sermon today, he goes, because John, when he went home Sunday and he had dinner, he went over to his computer. His sister had died, and she was cremated, and she was going to have a memorial service off in the future a bit. And he sat down at the computer, and he wrote a message on Psalm 23, a funeral message for his sister on Psalm 23. And then he hit the print button, and it printed out. And then he went over, and he sat down in the recliner, and then he had a heart attack. And then he went to heaven. And the pastor read the message that he wrote minutes before he died. And when you heard the message, you knew that John Worth was the man that he was because he had been ruined for this world when he was a boy and he realized that the God of the universe is the God of the Bible. And when it comes to the end someday, those of us who walk with the Lord will be so glad we did. Those of us who live for the Lord, those of us who love the Lord, those of us who ask God to help us be faithful to the Lord, those of us who kept us from this ugly world, from compromising in this ugly world, will be glad. I want to ask you a question before we quit today, and that is, what are you doing that's going to last into eternity? What are you doing with your life that's going to matter in eternity? What do you have that you'll still have? In eternity. What are you doing with your life that really is going to matter and that really is going to last? Would you think about that? Some of you today, you would be among those who would, God's judgment would fall on you because you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ. That can happen in a moment. Here's what happens in our service today. We're going to sing a meaningful worship song. That's an, it's a way of expressing our hearts after we've heard a message from the Bible. And then one of our deacons, one of our young men is going to come and he's going to offer prayer. And then after that, you'll notice that I don't go to the door and I'm going to stay down here. And the reason I'm going to stay down here is because maybe you need to know the Lord. 
And you could come forward. I could, I could either show you how to receive Christ or I could get you connected with somebody that could show you how to be saved in a moment and right with the Lord. And for you that know the Lord, okay, now we've, we've, we've had a vision of what this ugly, how this ugly world is going to end. We've been privileged to hear from a man who saw how this ugly, God-hating world is going to end. That should totally change our lives. That should encourage us. That should warn us. That should inspire us. That should, that should get us about the business of doing things that really matter. Hey, b- before we go, let me just read this to you. This is what Peter said about the end of the world. Ver- verse 7 of of 2 Peter chapter 3, the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of godly, ungodly men. And the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, and both the earth and the works in it will be burned up. And therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Let's stand and sing.